أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقال الرب شرحي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحلى الأقطة المسانية فقولي بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عما بعد السلام عليكم الحمد لله we, we decided that we were going to do this booster session for Ramadan and one of the reasons why I decided that this was quite important because we always find every Ramadan especially with the youth because I like to think that as you get older and you get wiser, you learn how to deal with your own weaknesses and strengthen your iman. And obviously, as you get older, you move around with different people. You learn a lot more about Islam. And so that makes it much easier for you to climb the ladder of iman. But for the youngsters, it becomes more challenging. And every year and year, we kind of fall into the same traps when it comes to Ramadan. And those are things like much earlier before Ramadan, let's say a month before Ramadan, people don't tend to get very excited people tend to think straight away that Ramadan is going to become a blocker to all the things that I want to do. My activities with my friends and playing football or doing whatever I need to do. But it's only when you come towards the second week, coming just before Ramadan, people start talking about it more, people start to jeer you up, that you then start going from that negative to more positive thinking. And this is all natural in the way I would say the Muslims are in, a, in, in this society, in this community that we live in. That's, that, that's a given. If we were living in a strong Islamic society, if we ha ever had the opportunity, but we, we, we don't, to live at the time of Muhammad Sallam, we'd be very different motivation for us. We are faced against various challenges that the, the forces are against us in terms of doing what is the right thing. Even with the, whether you're a Muslim or you're a non-Muslim, we are forced to think and believe in a certain way and act in a certain way that takes us away from the bigger picture of what is going to happen to all of us when this world ends for us as individuals, when we die and then when the world ends inevitably. So when you come towards the uh, month of Ramadan, a few weeks before, you all get jeered up and then Ramadan begins and everyone's motivated and that's very evident because when you go to the mosques they're absolutely packed you can't park your car anywhere you can't get in you end up praying in the corners in the janitor room in the car parks to find any little gap that you can and alhamdulillah that's good that's beautiful but then you'll see after about five days six days that actually a lot of those car parks are empty many of those places where it was packed in a car park, they're completely empty. And you can actually find a place in the masjid and maybe even the rows behind you are empty. So that shows you the general attitude of the community when it comes towards Ramadan, that people start to taper off when they get to about day five, going up to day 10. And now, alhamdulillah, what? We're day 11 now, day 12. And you begin to see now people start to deflate. You start to see when you're praying in Tarawiyah, you're like, oh, such and such is not here. Where's my mate? He's not here. He hasn't showed up. He hasn't showed up. And you begin to see that people are slowly starting to deflate. And I wanted to try and help people understand why that happens. And it doesn't mean that there's a lack of Iman. It doesn't mean that, that people are losing their Islam. There is a natural process that is occurring within all of us. And you're going to get this deflation point because of the fact that you are putting your body through a, and not just your body, the fact that you're not eating, you're not drinking, it's all of your social points that make you alive. Having that ability to go and meet up with your friends and do have certain activities and going for chai and having lunches with them and even going to something like not even going to shopping because of the fact you know it's going to tire you, it's going to make you thirsty, it's going to make you hungry. So you feel like you can't do anything. So this kind of really makes you feel like my life has come to an end. What's the point? I can't do anything. And you start to feel the negativity. 
This is what is supposed to happen. You're supposed to get to this breaking point. You're supposed to get to this breaking point so that we've broken your body down to a point where now the ruh starts to build up. But this is the point where everyone gets stuck because they can't now move to the next point to build up their ruh. They know they're moving through that transition, but they can't do it. And you know why they can't do it? Is because they don't have the knowledge of what Ramadan presents them. They lack the reminders, they lack the understanding of what Ramadan is actually giving them. What is really happening behind the scenes in order for you to benefit greatly from this month. And you know this from a lot of conversations. I was just talking to these young brothers earlier on before you guys turned up, before we started the class, that one of the brothers, he sent me a text um, of a conversation that was happening at work. And he says, Brother Arsene, can you answer this question? And there was a Muslim guy who was at work and he sent this email around and saying, and they must have had a, like a distributionist of just Muslims saying that, I don't understand why it's necessary for Muslims, because obviously I, I'm assuming he's now feeling the hunger pangs and he's feeling the pressure now, right? He's, I don't understand why the Muslims have to put themselves through fasting, not eating, not drinking, depriving themselves of nutrients just so that they can feel what it feels like to be poor and to be starved in the world so that we can have a level of appreciation. I don't understand why we need to put ourselves through that when we can actually do better things in that time to help those people. So you can see straight away that the mindset of this Muslim about what he thinks of Ramadan off the outset is completely wrong. Number one, Islam has never, Quran and Hadith, Quran and Sunnah has never mentioned anything about fasting for the sake of the poor. It's got nothing to do with this. So you can tell that people have got the wrong thinking, the wrong mentality. Fasting in the Quran talks about to attain taqwa. And taqwa is a very important thing. Taqwa means this relationship between you and Allah to revert Allah, to put Allah into a position where you understand where he needs to be and where you are in reference to that. And every religion has their own understanding of this taqwa. So when you think of Hindus, they have their idols and they have a relationship between the insan and their gods. You look at the Buddhist and how they have their view of the insan and their gods. And the same with Christians and the way that they believe. And so Islam has a very unique way of thinking about this relationship. We believe that Allah is the Almighty, that He is the controller of the universe. And that when He put human beings on this earth, Allah has told us the only thing that you are in control of is your thought, your intention and your actions. But the result of your actions are solely in the control of Allah. If you decide to go out there and you want to, you know, for example, pass an exam, it's in your, it's the thought that you carry about, I want to do this exam. And then you turn that into an intention that now you're going to make plan over a course of, you know, three, four months to study and work hard. And then you go and do the action. You go, you attend the exam and you do the paper. Once you've done all, you've answered all the questions, now the results are out of your hands. You can't control whether you're going to pass or fail. That is now up to Allah to decide. It could be the person who's marking might be in a very good mood and he decides to, you know, look at it 
uh, and read the questions properly and start marking everyone positively. Or he could have had a massive argument at home. Or he could be depressed because someone is suffering in, in sickness and illness in his home and he's not making him think of clarity and he's not marking it correctly. There could be all different things, scenarios. Okay, Or it could be on the day that you went to do the exam that you had a headache or it was raining or your eyes were not right. Something out of your control and you haven't been able to achieve the results. Here Allah says, it's up to me now and you've got to put your taqwa, your confidence and your trust in me. So here, not having the knowledge when it comes to Ramadan and what is happening in this period is what's going to deprive you of making that transition and building up your ruh. So what is happening to all of you now is expected. We said in the beginning, Ramadan is about breaking the physical side to then transition into building up your ruh. And this happens in every human being, that when the human beings are tested physically, that they have to bring out the strength within them. And we're just talking to the, the young lads in any, any case, like if you what, see what happens to people who get stuck in the Amazon forest and they, and they get lost for two weeks or even a month, food runs out, their body starts to break down. And they, some people, they start to give up. Oh, there's no point. I might, might as well die. I can't go through this anymore. And then the friend who's with them reminds them, do you understand you have a wife back at home, you have a kid back at home, you have a parents back at home, do you not want to see them? What happens if you're not here? Who's going to look after them? So the inner spirit, the inner motivation comes forward and gives him the strength to go. That is what we're missing. What is that thing, that motivation that we are lacking, that in that knowledge that is going to drive us now to another level? And I was just mentioning that Imam Ghazali, he wrote in his book, there are three kinds of people that they fast, and they fast at these three different stratas. The first one is those people that when they enter Ramadan, they fast simply with their body in terms of their mouth, that they're eating or they're drinking, and their physical side in terms of their relationship with their spouses. They will fast from that side. And that's the only thing that they'll do. They may accomplish their obligation salah, some of them may not even turn up for tarawiyah. Some of them may not do the tahajjud salah. Some of them might skip getting up for suhoor. But they're just constantly just doing the bare minimum. They're just cruising through this. The second one is the one who does the fundamental physical side. But then he does the next step where Allah talks about the fasting of the eyes, the fasting of the mouth and the fasting of the ears. Meaning that you don't speak or backbite or say anything crude or horrible about people. The fasting of the eyes that you don't look at things that you should not be looking at. And the fasting of the ears that you should not be listening to conversations, even if the conversations are evil, they're haram and so forth. In this day and age that we live in, it's very easy to look at things that are haram. When you go in your bedrooms, when you sit privately, you could be looking at things that you're not supposed to look at during the month of Ramadan. You could be hearing conversations that you should not be uh, listening to. It's very easy to do these things. But the second strike is the one who then prevents himself with his eyes, his ears, and his mouth. And when he does this, because Allah says that those who do not prevent themselves with their eyes and their ears and their mouth, I have no need of their fast. That's a real backhander. Allah saying that I have no need of their fast. So if you're at that level, alhamdulillah, you're in a good position. But if you're the one just below that, if you're just that number one, where you're just doing the basics, Allah says, yeah, you've Tick the box, you've done the fast, we'll accept it, but I don't need your fasting. 
His fasting is no good to me. And then the third one is the one who achieves the first and the second, but he now begins to do the fasting of the thought. And this is very important. I'm trying to explain to you what this means. Fasting of the thought is having a cognizance with Allah that in the month of Ramadan, that you continuously do things, whether it's going to work, whether it's dealing with your friends, whether it's going to the masjid, etc. You do this completely for the sake of Allah and you block the dunya outside of your thinking. So in the, Ramadan, in the month of Ramadan, that you train your mind to the point that when you have issues and problems that are going on, you've got to be able to be in a position to let it go. That is very hard to do. So for example, you may have a quarrel with someone and a fight with someone, or you may have something uh, happening at work that is bothering you at something at school or college. You've got to be able to transition your stress over to Allah. You've got to be able to hand over that responsibility that you are not in control over, the one that Allah says you are never in control of that. Why do you worry about things that you are not in charge of? Why do you worry about your investments tomorrow when Allah hasn't even asked you for your deeds for tomorrow? Why are you asking for this rizq for tomorrow? This is in His control. Let go of these and you'll know, you'll know what I'm talking about because you'll see the symptoms of this. Number one, in your salah. Whenever you pray and you're not in the state of khushu where you're just thinking about Allah. When you read Surah Fatiha, you understand what happens when you're praying Surah Fatiha. The Surah Fatiha, Allah says, the moment you call on me as Ar-Rahman Rahim, Allah says to the angels that are standing around you, now accept anything he says because he has referred to me as this and he believes this. But how can you honestly say that you are referring to Allah as this when you're just rolling it off your tongue and yet you're thinking about your investment or you're thinking about your exams or you're thinking about tomorrow. You're not even in the zone. So here, this is the first state that you begin, the first evidence of where your thinking is. Can you lock yourself off from the dunya and focus purely on your salah? These are the first things. Second thing is in the, in the month of Ramadan, when you, the moment that you wake up, do you read the name of Allah? Do you remember Allah? Do you do shukran to Allah? The fact that you have a roof over your head, that you are safe. It was only not long ago when the Turkish people devastated. Thousands and thousands of Muslims worked under the rubble and they woke up only to find that their whole building was on top of them. You wake up, alhamdulillah, and the roof is still intact. You wake up not worrying, not being concerned. My mom is next door. My son is in that bedroom and my daughter is in that bedroom. Everyone's safe. These people woke up and they didn't even know next door if their son was alive or their daughter was alive or their, or their mother and fathers. You have been got so much reason to be grateful, yet you put that to the side. You take it for granted and this is the problem. Take it for granted is what shaitan makes you believe. He says, hey, this is what you should expect from Allah. That's the bare minimum he thinks he should give you and there should be no shukran in this. So these are examples of how with a third level is when you can try and lock the dunya off. When you can lock the dunya off, 
then you are completely focused towards now your salah. Now focus to your tarawiyah, the motivation to now to please Allah. Because in order to get to that point, you have to be convinced. And intellectually, you have to be convinced that Allah is truly the master of the universe. And that means he is in control of everything that could potentially happen in this world. So if you have troubles in your life, nobody can sort it out except for Allah. Because the only thing that can sort it is that which has control over every mechanism that exists in the universe. Because in order to make one thing happen, you have to change a thousand things. It's a chain reaction. Now, one man can't do that, even if you're a prime minister or a president or a king and you've got all the money in the world. You can't change them because you have to have physical control over them. And only Allah has the physical control over that. So to move over these transitions is key. Do you understand? This is what I'm trying to say. You have to move through these transitions. You break down, that's normal. Once you're broken down, now you're supposed to get yourself ready to the next stage. And that's where people begin to fail. So this is why it's important to build up the knowledge and understanding as to why. Because these are the key elements as to what will give you the kind of motivation going into those high levels of your thinking and towards your iman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, here he mentions that when it comes to Ramadan, to make your life easier, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to restrain all the shayateens from you. This is the first concept I need you to understand. So we know Allah says, on Ramadan what happens? All the gates of hell are closed and all the gates of heaven are opened. What does this mean? It means when the gates of hell are closed, now remember Allah doesn't live in your time. There's no beginning and, and Allah doesn't live in concept of time. So everything for Allah is flat. It's already happened and so forth. The concept of the doors of hell being closed means none of you are going to enter because Allah is preventing you from entering in the month of Ramadan. That means you people who are going to follow these three levels are going to prevent yourself from getting into hell. And Allah says the doors of paradise are open. That means on the day of judgment, those who fast will have the opportunity to walk through any of those gates into paradise. So that means in this month, in this world of the Ummah, people are saving themselves from hell and, go, and going to enter into paradise. When the shayateens are locked, there's many different views. Some scholars say that all the shayateens are locked. Iblis is locked away. We know that all the huge, big of his generals and his soldiers that come and they spread the fitna and they do the waswasai in your ears, they are locked away. But they, some scholars say that the smaller ones are still left. So for example, the Qarin, the Qarin is the jinn, the shayateen that assigned to you. And he stays with you until the day you die. And his job is to stay on your shoulder and keep whispering to you. And his job or her job is simply to motivate you to do the wrong. And if he can't motivate you to do the wrong, he will prevent you from doing the good. There's a difference. He could motivate you to break your fast to the extreme cases. He could motivate you to backbite. He could motivate you to do haram. But if you are strong enough to prevent yourself from doing that, then he will work on the other side. He can prevent you from doing more ibadat. He can prevent you from giving charity. He can prevent you from helping others. So there's two ways he doesn't stop. 
Whichever way you want to look at it, if the, all the Shia teams are lo locked away, then the Ramadan is a phenomenal benchmark to really show who you are. This is why Ramadan is a month of reflection. Because what Allah is saying here is, I have locked away the shayateens. This month is bound with blessings. But this month, including Laylatul Qadr, has opened up things that you can never imagine. That doesn't even happen in your normal year. The amount of reward that is for you to take on this month is greater than your whole life that you've lived, if you want to take it. But in order you, before you do that, you must reflect upon yourself. So if the shayateen is gone and you are now fasting and you're not praying, or some of you may not be fasting, or some of you are not holding your tongue or looking at things, then that shows that's not even shaitan. That shows the damage that shaitan has done to you, that he reels you into doing things. And once he's got you going, it's like now you're doing it on your own and he's proud of you. Now you're doing the haram. So this is you. And this is what Allah says, that when you look at yourself in that spiritual mirror, you begin to realize, oh my God, I have become this monster. I am so far from Allah. The shayateen aren't even here to influence me. Is this what I have become? Over the course of the months, building up to Ramadan, is this what I become? And if you didn't take advantage of the previous Ramadan or the one before that, then this is a course of over the years, this is what you have become. And we have to bear ourselves in every little thing, every little thing, not just the major stuff, in our way that we talk to our families, in the way we talk to our colleagues, our spouses, our children, the children to the parents. This is what you have become. So this is a very key element. So this is why understanding and looking at yourself every day. So let's say you leave from here and you decide you want to give something good, you give charity. This is you. But if you then go off and you do something haram, then you need to stop for a second and think, why am I doing this? And then you need to try and correct this. In that process, the taqwa starts to build up. So the first thing is, they always say to you know drug addicts and, and people who are alcoholics, they say the first thing you need to do is accept what you are. Don't fool yourself. Wallahi, this is so important. All of us, including me and everybody else, we have to stop and we have to look and we have to accept what we are. We are not that good. We aren't that great. And we've got a long way to go. When you accept what you are, then you can go on to the course of recovery. You can go on that path of recovery and you need to start dealing with it. And this is the key element. You cannot fix yourself. You cannot fix yourself. You can only fix yourself by the permission of Allah. You can only fix yourself by the permission of Allah. If you want to resolve your problems, Allah has told you in the month of Ramadan, there is only one way to do that. You need to raise your hands up for dua. You need to raise up your hands for dua and you need to ask Allah to give you the strength to overcome these weaknesses. And therefore, many different things. Therefore, your habits that are haram, your habits that are lacking to do good, to, to get closer to Allah, any of these elements, you have to draw Allah in. And this is why it's important in Ramadan. Please do not think that dua is only for after salah. As a matter of fact, most duas were not even done by the Prophet after salah. 
Most of the du'as Muhammad used to make everywhere outside of Salah because Salah itself is a du'a. Salah itself is a du'a. Muhammad before he went to battle Badr, he raised up his hand, Ya Allah, you have to save us. If all these Muslims die today, who will be left to preach your religion? Who will be left to then pass on your deen? But Muhammad used to be such a soft individual. If he used to see a man or a woman or a child suffer or an orphan, he used to make constant du'a for them. The Sahabi used to make constant du'a for themselves because of their weaknesses. And they would make du'a to Allah, make this disappear. Give me the strength to overcome this. And then Allah will make that chain reaction happen. Do you understand? You cannot change yourself. If you want to do something good, you have to ask Allah. If you cannot pray and you want to pray, ask Allah. If you want to wear the hijab, you have to ask Allah, put it in my heart to do it. If you want to go to Hajj and have the pure intention, ask Allah to make your heart sincere. Because we say we want to go on Hajj, but we don't really want to. But you want to make it. Understand your weakness and accept it. You have to accept your weakness. If you cannot respect your parents because you always are angry, then accept that I am rude, that I am completely unacceptable in the eyes of Allah. Accept this mistake and ask Allah, make me a better individual. Because otherwise you are on the path of destruction. Allah SWT, in the Quran, He says, O you who believe fasting is prescribed to you as it was prescribed to those before you. We know that people did this. This was a continuous, continuous, continuous act that was done by previous religions. So this is not something that is new. The reason why I say this is that in this month, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted Ramadan to you. This is a gift that Allah ta'ala has given to you because this was once prescribed to those previous religions who then walked away from Allah. So Allah took this gift away and gave the gift of Ramadan to us so that we can gain and ascertain as much as possible. This is the very profound element of Ramadan. You have been gifted this month because Allah is saying that no other previous religion has been given this kind of gift. No other previous religion has been given this gift where Allah SWT says, for every action you do, there is a value. If you pray in Jama'at, you'll get 70 times reward. The angels know, they record everything down of your deeds. But Ramadan is one of them things, and understand the other part that I want to mention, which you must have understanding of. Every action has a value, and the angels know that value. That is why when the angels come down and they write down, he did this, she did this, he did this, she did this, and they report it back to Allah. That will be used in favor or against you on the Day of Judgment. When that day will happen, and it's petrifying day, please do not... I almost feel worried that we hear about it so many times that we get to a point that we just think, day judgment. You need to dig deeper into what this, this day is. It is the day of regret. It's a day of torment. The wait, when the day judgment happens, when the end of the world occurs, just the wait until when the day, when the judging begins is hundred thousands of years. So you'll be standing naked in front of Allah, the whole world in anguish, waiting for that day of judgment to happen because you know, being petrified of not knowing what the outcome is going to be is in itself a killer. Except that you will not taste death now because you are already dead and alive and you will not die again. So when that now happens, they will beg their prophets, please ask Allah for the day of judgment to start. And no prophet 
will even dare to ask Allah. They say, why are you asking me? Have you seen how angry Allah is on this day? The Ummah, they will ask, the Prophet Muhammad ask Allah, start the day of judgment. And the Muslim will go to Allah and say, Ya Allah, please start it. And by that love, Allah will begin that day of judgment. But now when you get called, Allah will say, every single day, you backbited, you did this, you did that, you said that, you didn't do this right, you cheated at work, you didn't behave correctly, you missed your salah, this, that, whatever. And you'll be judged. But behind Allah, there will be roaring hell. Hell is not a place, it is a living force that wants to consume. It's the nature of it, it's to consume everyone. It wants to consume even the good. It doesn't care. But only when Allah gives him the permission, it will consume, it wants to eat you. Then Allah will say, but your deeds are this, your deeds are this, your deeds are this, your deeds. And then they will say, you'll be put on the scale to see if your deeds, your good deeds have outweighed your bad deeds. And based upon that, Allah will define and decide your fate. But now think about Ramadan. When the angels come to you and they see you not tear one, tear one, you're not going to get anything out of that. The one who just fasts for the sake of fasting. We're talking tier two and tier three. When he comes to see that, he goes back to Allah because I'm confused. He says to the other angel, I'm confused. I don't know what to put down for this. And then when they ask Allah, Allah says to the angels, for this believer, this reward is kept with me secret. And I will release this on the day of judgment. And there are many hadiths that says that you could have been the worst person in the world but if you fasted purely for the sake of Allah, purely to better yourself, not to go back, not to go into Ramadan like this and then to go back to all your haram, none of this will be accepted. Those people who sincerely went in the month of Ramadan, understood what it was for, wanted to better themselves and come out the other side a much better person. It may be that you may end up doing the haram again, but that wasn't your intention. As long as you're sincere, and that's the key thing, then Allah will say, when he balances this out, you could have a pile of a human race of evil deeds. And that one Ramadan that you've done sincerely, Allah says, that outweighs all of this. Understand my point, what I'm trying to say. One good, sincere Ramadan will be enough to save you. No one has been given that gift. Every other man prior to this religion, is going to account on every deed that he has done. Every deed. Allah is giving you on a plate. He is giving this to you on a plate. And then when you think about Laylatul Qadr, Allah says, on top of this, I will bless this Ummah with a very special night. But prior to that, remember there's a hadith from Muhammad Sallam, where the angel Jibreel, they took him in a dream. And he was shown the Ummah of all the previous Prophets. The whole, he was shown the whole race from the day that Adam Islam came down to this earth up until the Day of Judgment. He was shown this in a dream. And he looked on the horizon. He was, the angels took him up on a big mountain and he was looking over the horizons. And they said, do you see that? He goes, I can see people. And who's that man? He goes, these are the people of Adam Islam. Then he would look over here and you see another Prophet. These are the people of... Ibrahim Islam. These are people of Dawood Islam. And you will see some prophets with huge amounts of people. And you will see some prophets with one or two. And you will see some prophets with no one. Meaning that prophets came down and no one followed them.
So it was only when he saw the nation of Musa Islam, he was shocked. The amount of people that followed Musa Islam, so we're talking about the Bani Israel, many, many people followed. So Muhammad he was sad. He was happy and he was sad. He was happy to see that so many people followed Musa Islam. But he looked at the angel, Jibreel, and he said, but what about my Ummah? What about my Ummah? And they said to Muhammad then look on your right. And he looked on his right and he could see the horizon filled with his Ummah. And he said, and now look to the left. Now look down. Now look behind you. And he was completely filled up. And that's when Angel Jibreel said, Allah has promised you from your Ummah, O Prophet, 70,000 will enter paradise without any single accountability. When the day judgment will happen and everyone's lined up to get judged, there will be a group of 70,000, Allah will say, just let them straight through. They're permitted. No accountability. You know what your Prophet said? And this is the beautiful thing about Muhammad Sallam. Muhammad Sallam was not a man for himself, never was. He spent all his life trying to save every individual as much as he could. As much as he could. He made dua for every single person. He even made dua for us who were not even born at the time. Begging Allah to guide them. Begging Allah to give us salvation, to give us the Jannah. He kept on making these duas for us. So he, Muhammad Sallam, said to Jibreel, 70,000 is a good number. To have no accountability when everyone else is going to be counted, he said to Angel Jibreel, it's not enough. It's not enough. 70,000 is not going to do it. I need more. So Allah said that for every thousand of that 70,000, another 70,000 will go in. Are you happy? That's 4.2 million. That's a huge number. On the day judgment, can you imagine? Do you want to be one of those 4.2 million? Do you want to go into hellfire? One day in hell, there is no concept of day. One little sin, one little sin. People who do not take care of themselves when they go to the bathroom. You know, they have a mistake and you get urine on yourself, etc. These people are going to be punished in the grave just for a silly mistake for not taking care. One day in hell is equivalent to a million years of these days on this earth. You can't persevere that. The only thing that will save you from that is death. But there is no death. You will not die. The pain will just increase. So he's saying 4.2 million. Allah will have 4.2 million. And you know what your prophet said? He said, that's not enough. That is not enough. So Allah said, to Jibreel, tell him that three handfuls of Allah will enter. So that was a promise that was done. Now, what does this mean? That, that we, Allah, we don't know what four, three handfuls mean. But if I was to be a literal man, we thought about the hands of Allah, that would be a huge number. Right? That'd be a huge number. So that means many of us will be saved. How will that Savior come? How will that salvation come to us? How will we be saved on that day? It's going to be through Ramadan. It will be through Ramadan. Because one of the other things that Muhammad used to say to Jibreel, I don't understand. All of the other previous nations, these people, they lived for hundreds of years. No Islam, just his dawah was 800 years. Just his dawah. So the people that were with him who lived for thousands of years, Muhammad said, but my ummah, again, he's thinking about you. He was told 
that Ya Rasul, your Ummah's average age will be 60. Average age will be 60. So 10 years, either side variance, yeah, is what I call the kill zone. From 50 to 70 is your kill zone area. And the Prophet said, if they live for thousands of years, they did thousands of years of worship, how is my Ummah going to compete with that for 60 years? So Allah then revealed this ayah regarding Laylatul Qadr. And in this Allah says, in this night, and this night is equivalent to a thousand months of continuous ibadat, continuous prayer, continuous worship to Allah. And that works out to be 80 years. So I mean, literally, if you did not sleep, eat, drink, go to the bathroom, nothing but continuously sat in one room, in a constant state of ibadat, increasing, and you didn't eat anything else, take the human element out of you, that's 80 years non-stop. That's more than the thousands of years that they lived. And that's where Allah says, if you seek this night in the last 10 nights, then you will get that blessing. And that in itself has to be something very powerful for a currency on the Day of Judgment. So even the Prophet ﷺ, he reminded people, even if you deflated in the first 10, 20 days, but do not lose the last 10 days. Do not leave that last 10 days. Let me explain to you what happens in the last 10 days. The reason why I want to talk about Lidl because it's coming up very soon. And you cannot afford to be complacent in the last 10 days. You cannot afford to be complacent any day of Ramadan. But if you had to hedge your bets, you would go for the last 10 days maximum. And I'm not saying that so that you leave the others. In the last 10 nights of Ramadan, on that night, you have to find it. Allah told Muhammad in a dream the day it was going to be. But because the Muslims were quarreling, they were fighting, he said to them, I was told in my dream which night it was, but because of your infighting, I was caused to forget it. Now you've got to find it in the last 10 nights. What happens? There are several things. What does Al-Qadr itself mean? So the night of Qadr. First one is significance. Not just because of the significance of the night. It's the significance of the dua and the act that you do in these last 10 nights. Everything becomes super elevated and there is no value upon value on this. It is bigger than what you could ever imagine. Bigger than Ramadan in itself. That's how powerful this night is. This is a night of congestion. Uh, visualize what happens. In the Hadith it explains. Allah orders every angel, and they're not all of them, but most of the angels, to descend down on this night. So what you will find on this night, and this is why they say, it will be a very somber night. The angels will continuously come down. They're ordered. Now they're traveling from the seven heavens. So if you think about Surah Al-Muntasa, which is the closest place where his throne is, that's a long journey, they're coming down to earth. The most powerful angel, Angel Jibreel, is ordered to come down. Angel Jibreel never comes down to the earth. He only ever comes down whenever he is there to reveal the scriptures to the prophets. And when the prophets are gone, he has no business being back on planet earth. Except for every year on Laylatul Qadr, he comes down. And he comes down as a general of all these angels. 
when he arrives and all the angels gather around him, this is what happens. So all of you, now imagine what do you do on Laylatul Qadr? Think about last year where you were and what you were doing, right? And hopefully, inshallah, some of the kids were not playing games all night because they think, oh, they think, oh, we've got to stay up all night. Yeah, but you're missing the second part in worship, not in uh, PlayStation or doing anything other stuff. Some people are sitting in treats having desserts. Some people are having chai and smoking shisha all night, trying to resolve the world's problems. This is the mentality. This night, think where you were. Angel Jibreel comes down, all of the angels gather. That's what they call it. The Qadr means congestion. There are so many of them, so many of them. And he says to them, go out and seek the mu'min, the believer, who is in worship to Allah. And when you see them, it's not one angel, there are so many angels, they're fighting over you. So they just scramble. When he gives the order, they scramble around the earth, planet earth. So there could be a million next to you. He says, when you hear them, when they make their dua, say Amin with them. That is very powerful. Because for an angel to say Amin, it means that he supports your dua. And angels are there to do what? To witness you what you do. That's why their support is powerful. He then says, when you see them, you give their, your salam to them. For an angel to give salam to you is very profound. Very profound. And he orders them to record every single thing that they say. When they record this, they go back up to the seven heavens and they say to Allah, and this is the most beautiful thing. That night when they recorded, they've gone to see you, 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 you. Now it could be that a million angels are stuck with you all night. When they've taken this, they know who you are. They come back to Angel Jibreel and Angel Jibreel says what's happened. And they mention you by name. That this such and such sat there making dua and he said all of these things. Now, as it comes towards the end of the night, so we're talking about when it comes to, towards the Fajr. Angel Jibreel, he ascends, he goes up and he sits between the earth and the skies. So almost like the sun is behind him. And the angels will be with him. And he will wait there until the time of Fajr because that's when the night ends. Now, alhamdulillah for us, but it's from literally from the time of Maghrib all the way to this period. Any time that you're doing. This is why your tarawiyah is important because it's tahajjud, it's a night prayer. It is a night prayer. But it's more beloved to Allah is the one that is just before Fajr. So what happens is, when it comes to the morning, there's a hadith that talks about, Abu Hurairah mentioned that we were talking about Laylatul Qadr amongst ourselves in the presence of the Prophet Muhammad And the Prophet Muhammad he said that Allah said, He who amongst you remembers the night when the moon arose and it was like a piece of plate. So it means that you can look at the moon. You know, sometimes it has a bit of a glare. But you know, when you look at the moon, there's no glare. And you can actually just see, you know, you can see the markings of the moon. Yeah, you can see all like the, the cheese craters on there and so forth. That's how clear it is. But there's also a saying that in the morning, in the atmosphere, one of the signs are the night of Qadr is calm. It's seen and it's peaceful night. And it's neither is it hot nor is it cold. But the most important thing I wanted to mention was the sun. The sun will, you heard this hadith before, the sun will rise like a brass plate in the morning without rays. So you know sometimes, you look at the sun, it's really strong and you literally, you can't even face in, the, in that direction. But sometimes the sun is actually not that bright. 
it's there and the rays are simmered down almost like there's a filter in front of it that is why the angels are up there they filter the sun out that's the sign they come up they've taken all of your requests all of your deeds then they go up through all the seven layers and they meet Allah and they mention your name to Allah Allah already knows but they mention your name to Allah that he did such and such can you imagine on that night how many angels there will be to the number of Muslims and subhanallah it, you know it hurts me to say that the vast majority of Muslims don't fast the vast majority of Muslims are in that tier one and the vast majority of Muslims have this attitude I have suspended my sin and I will carry it on after Ramadan their fast is not accepted <clears throat> So this is why it is absolutely crucial for you to have this knowledge to understand why you are facing or feeling what you're feeling. You are going to be deflated. Your body is going to feel tired. This is why Allah says, now bring your inner strength out. Right? And it's little things, right? Like, you know when you don't want to go for travi, you feel tired, oh, let it be, this, that, whatever. It's just, those are the signs. Your body's broken, you just eaten, you gluttoned your food and you just feel like all weak. Now the Ruh is asking and begging you, please take me, let me go. But your physical side is stopping it. Get up and break your body even more and stand for the sake of Allah because Allah loves those. He will remember this. He loves those who break their body, who break themselves for the sake of Allah. Isn't you going for tarawiyah similar to trying to get up for fajr or trying to get up for tahajjud? Same, isn't it? It's difficult. But tahajjud should be easier for you. But look how easy it is for us to just to stop and, and not carry on doing this. So this is why it's very important to try and understand that you have to make that transition and be mentally aware of what's going on. The other thing I'll just mention here is Quran is very important. So there are three things, advice I will give you that you should be gaining out of this, right? For you to come out of Ramadan in a much better state. Number one is get close, make your salah as good as you can. So there are times when you're going to pray, your mind will wander, be very conscious, capture that, bring yourself back. You understand? Little things, tips I'll give you that will help you. When you read... If you're at home, read a little bit loud so you can hear it. Because to when you recite loud versus internalize the words, internalizing the words is subconscious because you don't know whether you're actually saying it or your subconscious is reading it. The problem with subconscious reading is with subconscious, when you open that door, all of the other things that are in your subconscious mind keeps coming in and distracting you. So read loud. That's your conscious state. And that keeps you focused towards your, your, your salah. And every time you go into sujood or ruku, make a dua to Allah. Stop there for make any dua. And I'll tell you why it's important. This is key. Prophet Muhammad said, duas will never be neglected by Allah from the mu'min. They'll be answered in three ways. One, if you ask for Allah for something in dunya, if he deems it to be good for you, he will accept it and he will give it to you. If you ask for something and you don't get it, then Allah will replace it with something that was going to happen in your life with something good something bad was going to happen something good will happen and the third is if you don't get this dunya is where he will replace it with the bad deed that you've done on the day of judgment he'll replace it on that day for you 
And the, uh, the other thing about Laylatul Qadr, the last thing I forgot to mention was Qadr itself means your destiny. On this night, Jibreel, when he's with his angels, Allah sends down the instructions and says to the Jibreel, send out the instructions and let these people know, let the angels know. This man will succeed in his exam. This one is going to pass away next year. This one going to build a mosque. This one is going to have cancer. This one is going to have this. this All the Qadr comes. This is why they say Dua is the only thing that can change Qadr. So if Allah has already deemed something, your Dua can change that. That's why do not procrastinate on your Dua. Continuously, so little things, right? When you're walking, always make Dua. So your Salah, very important. Get that on point. Number two, Quran. Find the love of Quran. Find it somehow. Get closer to it. Even if it means starting with the English translation. Get closer and start reading it to the point that you can recite the book of Allah. Right? You need this now. While no one is distracting, no shayateen, you want to be able to come out at the end of Ramadan being able to recite Quran on a continuous basis. And number three, and the most important thing, is knowledge. Because from the two, you will gain the knowledge. Build knowledge. Knowledge is key for your success. Knowledge is a key from you to falling away from Islam and prevents you from falling into kufr. Just having this knowledge about Ramadan makes a big difference in what you're now going to do, what your next steps are going to be. So these are the things now. Get into the habit now. So your Salah, the Quran and study. And put your body. It's not easy. You've got to literally think of it like it's a fight camp. Literally, that's what it is. Or you have to lock off everyone and everything until the fight is over. And then inshallah you see after Ramadan, you will know if your Ramadan is accepted. Because when Ramadan goes, your heart will miss it. That's the first great sign. You will be feel depressed that it's gone. You will not feel the barakah anymore. Because now Allah will unleash the shayateens and they will find you. Mention the hadith as well. Some of the shayateen that used to influence you in doing certain things that you stopped in Ramadan, they don't come back to you because you defeated him. So there's a shayateen for every little bad thing that you do. He will not come back to you. He gives up on you. He'll walk away. So if you can knock those bad habits, those shayateens will not come back to you. You'll have new fresh ones, right? But they will, the bar is raised now. So inshallah, Allah Ta'ala accept your Ramadan, give you the strength and the motivation to do as much as you can, not to waste time, to really put your heart and your effort. And really, it's a, it's a month of being selfish. Lock off your friends, lock off everyone. Even when you're praying a tarawiyah, turn the phones, turn it off, leave it there. When you're reading Quran, turn the phone. You've got to be absolutely selfish because this is once in a lifetime kind of situation that will occur, right? Happens every year, but not every year that you do it right. So one inshallah will work out for you that will be enough to save all of us on the Day of Judgment and prevent us from going into that hellfire. Jazakallah khair. May Allah make you successful, inshallah. Jazakallah khair.